You've just joined The Daily Answer. Your host, Mark Dunnigan, and we want to go back decades in this particular episode. Of all the things that happened in childhood, isn't it interesting what you actually do remember? Uh, years ago, I heard a, an expression, the thoughts of childhood are long, long thoughts. That is, when you're 70 or 80 years old, you're going to be remembering something that your mom or dad said to you or something that happened when you were five or six. Yes, the memories of childhood are long thoughts. So don't think if you say something cutting or cruel, they're going to forget because they don't forget. Sometimes what keeps you going later on in life are the things that your parents said to you. Things like, I know you can do better. I believe in you etc. Those things, long after they're gone, can often keep you mentally stable and healthy. Well, I have this vivid memory early on in the childhood. We're no longer in the shack. My brother has been born. We're in the house in Silverton, and there's a present. It's like a gun that shoots big plastic bullets, like a bazooka or a machine gun. And my mom had purchased that for an upcoming birthday. In light of the fact that it was, I think, warm outside, that we were playing outside, it was probably coming up for my younger brother's birthday, uh, who had a birthday in August. So she had hidden it on top of the freezer, but I found it. And I pitched a fit. And she unfortunately gave in and, you know, out of well, frustration, and I remember that I didn't like the look on her face of extreme frustration and disappointment. And I tell you what, I was disgusted with myself. I'm not sure if I really played with that gun that much, if it was even enjoyable to shoot the big red bullets out of it. I probably, and they didn't go very far, um, I probably quickly moved on to something else. But I remember that feeling. I didn't like the way I felt. This feeling of selfishness and that I had done something wrong. I just remember feeling horrible. Maybe one of the first moments in my life that the conscience appeared. And, and, and I think the toy was probably actually abandoned because of that toy reminded me of my darkness. It reminded me of my selfish attitude and it just made it where I couldn't enjoy it. Now, I wonder, and I never asked her years later, if that was the precise moment she decided this coming summer, we're going to pick berries. These kids of mine are getting, oh, they're feeling too entitled. They don't realize their blessings. They don't know the value of money. They need to be taught a work ethic. So at some point, at some point, we headed out to the berry field and we started picking strawberries and we picked all year long. In Oregon, the strawberries often go through June and then we shifted to things like Marion berries, Logan berries, boysenberries, typically in the family known as a cane berry. And then I remember thornless blackberries. They developed a 
a breed of black bear that did not have any thorns or didn't have as many thorns. They were never truly thornless. And green beans. Now, green beans, I couldn't, I didn't like that. You were in a row. You couldn't see anybody. You were, you had, you know, the, the hedges of green beans were taller than you were and you had a gunny sack. Um, I know people that, man, they said green beans, that's where they could make their cash. They could pick a thousand pounds a day. And I just, I just could not get into green beans. And I think some of it was it, you were just kind of locked in and you really couldn't see anything around you. But the, you know, I mean, there's, these were pole beans. And so these were like beans that one went up like six or seven feet. And, you know, you were just in this long row and all you could see was the sky or the dirt and the green beans. And that was pretty much it. I have so many memories of those days particularly of songs to me there, there there were berry picking songs and one of the earliest berry picking songs someone had a radio it would have been a transistor radio back then in the berry yard it was in the year 2525 man when i hear that song to this day i'm back picking berries it's a warm day i can smell the earth i can almost taste the berries and a little bit of the dirt in my mouth i'm right back there picking berries when I hear the song in the year 2525. And then there were other vivid memories. Um, there was a berry picking season in the valley. And then a little bit later, there would be a berry picking season in the Silverton Hills. And that would be an elevation of like 1,000, 1,100 feet or even higher. Those were the best berries. They actually had a strawberry festival and the queen of the strawberry festival was the girl up in the hills who picked the biggest berry. And there were times that like some huge berries, I'm not sure if they were the size of your fist, but they were pretty get, getting pretty close, came out of those hills. And when we went up there, and that's where my mom had been from, that, that was her country. And her dad, years ago, uh, back in the 40s, had raised strawberries. So I remember there was one farm there, and the people picking up there, could be a little on the rough side, hillbilly folks, people coming out from Oklahoma still, and the whole family living in like a, well, a camper or a canopy, and the whole family picked, and they were making, I mean, they were making money, like eating money and rent money doing that. And then a few of the early kind of migrant workers that came up from Mexico were starting to arrive. Um, and there was one berry field that, well, the row boss and the row boss would come behind you and made sure that you had properly picked your row. And if you had not, she'd send you back like you missed them. Uh, we need to get all these berries. And so the, um, the owner of the field would typically hire someone to do that. And often they were women. And this woman kind of like had one arm Well, she had a stub on the other arm. And man, was I intimidated by her. Now, her husband, her husband, about every half an hour, like a clock, like a clock, about every half an hour in the berry field, as he was picking, he'd be talking to somebody or something, and he would blurt out, when you're hot, you're hot, when you're not, you're not. And, and that happened like every half an hour all day long. I remember early morning, getting up early in the morning, 
uh, the bushes would often be wet and so they'd be cold and wet. And of course, then that dew would burn off. When the sun came up, there would be a chill. You would be cold when you first started. You would be burning up at the end of the day. Um, it would be beaten down in your back. There would be the smell of berries, dirt, surrounding farms, maybe a silo here or there, an outhouse. Um, there were times that you'd reach down and go like, man, there's a good berry. And you picked it and your the fingers on the backside sunk into this mush. And you turned it around and it was rotten and mold was growing on it and all sorts of fuzzy gray hairs were there. And, you know, that kind of would. Uh... And now and then you run into a snake, not a poisonous snake, but you would just run into a snake or a mouse or something that was in the berry field as you were picking. My mom, she was amazing. She would pack us great lunches I, I, and everything was like wrapped in wax paper. So there'd be sandwiches and chips and hard boiled eggs fresh cucumbers from the garden, tomatoes, a candy bar maybe, ice-cold lemonade or ice-cold drinks wrapped in tin foil. And this would be, you know, somewhat before the days of a cooler or that uh, a lot of times people would like put their beverage in the freezer or whatever, wrap it in tin foil, and then you'd kind of let it thaw out and it'd be still nice and cold by lunchtime. Amazing lunches. And well, she would do all that. She would pick all day. So when she'd get us up, our clothes would be set out. We'd have a breakfast. She'd drive us to the berry yard. She'd pick all day with us. So we'd come back. I mean, she'd do laundry, right? Because a lot of times you're berry picking clothes. You might have just like one round of berry picking clothes or two rounds. And then she'd have to cook dinner that night for us. Then she'd have to make lunches again for the next day. And then it all started again, probably at five o'clock in the morning. And that would go on. That would go on five days a week. And I'm just amazed by her dedication. She was intent on teaching us a work ethic. You might say she was gung-ho on making sure that the lesson of the book of Proverbs was not lost on us and that we became like the ant. In Proverbs chapter 6, I've always loved this section. It says in verse 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, or O lazy person. Observe her ways and be wise. There's something to learn from watching the ants, which having no chief, that is no one's in charge of the ants. They don't have like a chief ant, officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer. I think the idea is the ant works without having to be told. Ants don't have like a bureaucracy that's cracking the whip. Uh, ants don't always, don't simply work when the bigger ant is watching them. Ants are self-starters. They're all workers. They're just like, you know, little bees. They're just all working. That's what they do. Prepares her food in the summer, gathers her provision in the harvest. That is when it's time to get the, when the crops are right, you're out there, you're out there picking the crops. And so you prepare, you prepare for fall and winter. You prepare for the lean times or you say you put aside for a rainy day because there's always going to be a rainy day. Rainy days always show up. You never reach a point in time where there are no uh, unintended expenses, like a car repair that you didn't anticipate. Something goes haywire in the house. You hadn't planned on that. You know, uh, well, that dishwasher is only five years old and it needs to be repaired already. Things like that happen or your own physical health. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from sleep? A little slumber, a little sleep, 
a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. The idea is that and a, a little slumber, a little rest appears to be what the sluggard says to himself. That is, the sluggard does not view himself as lazy. Rather, he just says, well, I'm just going to kind of lay down for a while here. Uh, you know, I've been working hard. I'm going to knock off this day. I'm going to call in sick, but I'm not really sick. Um, I, I'm going to spend the next two hours just kind of mindlessly watching television, playing a video game or whatever, not doing anything constructive. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing that now and then. But the thing is, what catches the sluggard by surprise is that those little those little moments of slumber and rest are quite a few and they add up. And so poverty will arise, will arise and show up. And uh, you can't argue with it. Too late now. You do reach this point in time that you in your life that you cannot, you know, when you're younger, you make an unwise decision financially. Often when you're younger, you can catch up. But boy, when you're older, when you're older, you don't have as much time to catch up. And sometimes poverty arrives and there's no arguing with it. That's, you're just going to be poor the rest of your life. That's, that's just the way it is. And so she was trying to drill into us, I think, the lesson there. there. There was one time that she was so exhausted after the day of picking berries. And we had a pickup truck with no power steering and no power brakes. And she could not put enough pressure. Her feet were like rubber. Her legs were like rubber. She was so exhausted. And so I had to get down on the floorboards. And as we went, came into town and went down East Hill, she would say, Mark, I need more brake. And I would be down there pushing on the brake and giving her more brake. And then she'd say, that's good enough. And so I kind of had to help her with that uh, coming into town one day. Uh, that's how exhausted she was. That's how much she was putting into it. Now, I might have been in fourth or fifth grade and we were picking outside of Silverton on a farm owned by the Roth family, and there were a number of families that had that last name. At one point, I started a new row, and the row boss would always direct you to what row they wanted you to pick. And typically, the women, the women that were out there picking in the summer, and by women, I would say moms. There were a number of moms that would be out there, and 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 sometimes there were some widows out there picking too, but a lot of them were moms that had kids or etc. And those moms were out there picking for serious money. That is, they were picking to help the family budget. And often the row boss understood that. And so the road boss would give, it was kind of a priority. If, if you really needed the money and you weren't just some kid like I was, and you know this was serious business for you and you were a great picker, they tried to give you the better roles. So I was given a row. And I settled into my row. And I think I didn't have the outside row. I had one row from the outside that went along the road. And a lot of times the rows that close to the road were not the best rows. Well, I settled in. I looked up. And 15 feet or so ahead of me was a girl. A girl that this fourth or fifth grader had idolized for a while. And there was only one thing to do. I have to catch up to her. And I started picking and I was just matching her berry for berry, but I, 
girls just could always outpick boys. Maybe it was coordination. Maybe they matured earlier. Maybe it was like an element of concentration. But with that, like 15 foot head start, I just didn't seem to be able to make any ground up between us. And it was just frustrating. Like this is my only chance this entire year, maybe to at least maybe say something to her when it's just me and her. Then something happened. By chance, as I noted, our rows were the two rows nearest to the road. And up ahead, there was an outhouse. And it was a warm June afternoon. And the outhouse didn't smell good. And that started to distract her. She stopped. She looked back. She'd said something to her mother complaining about the smell, you know, and she got distracted. And, and that, that was my opportunity. I pick like a madman. I don't know if I ever picked as hard in my life, body, soul, spirit, all in, all in unity, uh, in unison. Uh, I became one with the row. I was like a machine. I was a, I, I was a boy in earnest. Now I didn't have some sort of out of body, uh, out of body experience, did not fall into a trance or begin speaking in some ecstatic languages, but I did catch up to her. And as I paralleled her, she commented about the smell. I said something back and she smiled and we both continued picking. And that smile would last me for the rest of the summer. There was something absolutely wonderful about being young, naive. It seems that we were satisfied maybe a lot easier or with a lot less or small pleasures meant more to us. Have I lost my ability just to live on a smile? Have I become so sophisticated that I need to think I just need all sorts of things to be just right. Perfect. All fall into place before I can enjoy this moment. Have I become hard to please whatever happened to I can live on a smile. In addition, some of them noted, remember the thank God for unanswered prayers. The girl I was chasing ended up spending her life often at the local tavern. She really aged prematurely. She would be there playing video poker with another man's money. There are times that I have deliberately walked in the trouble, like the fool of Proverbs. And I know God does not protect us from all the bad things or consequences. But as I look back upon my life, God has sure protected me from a lot. So I try not to complain, God, why did you allow that to happen? Because I believe that through the years, he has kept all sorts of potential disasters at bay. And I don't even know half of it. For those younger, let me remind you that when I said there was an outhouse up ahead, do not think of some sort of blue plastic porta potty with uh, with nice vents, a lid on the toilet, uh, hand sanitizer, etc. No, it was wood, rough wood at that, and was a simple structure that stood over a deep hole in the ground. And then you would encounter one that would have two openings the two hole or outhouse and it was all in the same little room 
no divider, an outhouse for two people, which if someone asks me, what's the world's worst idea? I don't know what the world's second worst idea, third worst idea is, fourth worst idea. Is it communism? You know, it's like second, third. I mean, you know, the world's worst idea. But I knew, do know this. I do know the number one world's worst idea. And that is the outhouse, two holes, where some farmer thought, and I don't know how, why he even thought this. Maybe he, he was too long on the farm. When would two people, human beings, ever want to sit right next to each other and use the restroom? It boggles my mind. I don't understand that. And on the daily answer, I don't have an answer for that one. Rather, that's simply the world's worst idea. Well, this is Mark Dunnigan with The Daily Answer. And those were some thoughts on Barry Pickett Days. Until next time, well, we'll see you in the funny papers. Or maybe if you're lucky, we'll see you in the berry patch.